0: The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Talons of Wing Chiang. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Akin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to uh, help us out and write a review of the show if you listen on Apple Podcasts or go to Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen there, or wherever you can write reviews or give ratings. Those sorts of things help a lot when we're trying to find new listeners. Also, share the podcast with other people. That's, of course, the most important way you can help us grow our audience. And so we really do appreciate it when you do that. I do want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're certain to enjoy. If you like The Secrets of Doctor Who, you'll like Jimmy Aikens Mysterious World. And if you're not listening to that yet, please do so. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at mysterious.fm. And finally, before we get started, I want to tell you to stick around to the end of the show because we have more of your fine listener feedback that we'd like to share and discuss. But in the interim, we are going to talk about the talents of Wang Chaing. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this story? This week, Doctor Who mashes up Sherlock Holmes, The
1: Giant Rat of Sumatra, Jack the Ripper, My Fair Lady, Phantom of the Opera, The Dead of Night, Fu Manchu, and Chu Chen Chow. The fourth Doctor brings Leela to the 1890s London uh, to go to the theater as part of his educating Leela, like in My Fair Lady. But they arrive in the midst of a series of strange disappearances of lady Londoners that is reminiscent of Jack the Ripper. The doctor thus assumes the role of Sherlock Holmes to solve this week's mystery, and even dresses like him. He is ably assisted by Professor Lightfoot, who, like Dr. Watson, is a military doctor who is retired to civilian practice, and they do indeed encounter a giant rat of Sumatra, or at least a giant rat of London. At the center of the mystery is a theater owned by Henry Gordon Jago, uh, which has a Chinese magician named Lisa. Uh, Lee Sin Chang, only instead of being a comedic entertaining figure like in the theater production Chu Chin Chow, Chang actually turns out to be a villain strongly reminiscent of Fu Manchu. Chang is also assisted by an evil, partly robotic ventriloquist dummy named Mr. Sin, who was inspired by the movie Dead of Night. Chang is also the leader of a Tong, or Chinese secret society that worships a fictional Chinese god named Wing Chiang, and the man impersonating Wing Chiang is really a war criminal named Magnus Greel from the 51st century. He's been stranded in our time by the loss of his time cabinet, which is in the... possession of Professor Lightfoot, who doesn't know what he's got. Magnus Griel also was injured in his early primitive time travel experiment, and he needs to consume the life essences of the young women that have been vanishing in order to delay his death. Greel is convinced that if he can get back his time cabinet, he can fix his medical condition and escape to the future. But the doctor assures him that his time travel experiments were a disaster, and if he tries to use the time cabinet again, it will cause a huge implosion in London and kill many. Eventually, we end up with a tense confrontation in the Tong's London headquarters with the sinister, laughing Mr. Sin, shooting laser beams out of the eyes of a giant dragon statue. Ultimately, Mr. Sin goes crazy and kills all the members of the Tong except Greel. The Doctor then kills Greel in his own life extraction machine, and the Doctor then kills Mr. Sin by removing his fuse. The Doctor having killed Greel and Mr. Sin, all is well with the world again. The End.
0: That is a fine summary of a very long and complex mm-hmm. story. So that, that's good. Thank you, uh, Father Corey, your overall impression of this one. This is always one that I, I've 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 enjoyed, you know, I, since
2: seeing it as a kid, because it, it's it's creepy. It's it's very much the, the Sherlock Holmes, like like Jimmy mentioned. It, it's it's interesting. It is it's it's fun uh jago and lightfoot are very much breakout characters from this uh, including big finish we talked about one of one of their adventures um with the sixth doctor um it, it's just it's it's an interesting one um leela is definitely battle action leela that's you know in this one uh she's uh she she definitely takes takes a lot of risks and gets captured a couple times and takes the lead in a lot of places and it's just it really is an enjoyable one. Um it, it a lot of stuff going on, like you said though.
1: How about you, Jimmy? Yeah, I really like this one. I've liked it since I was a kid. It's by Robert Holmes, which is almost always a good sign. And it is a six-parter, but it doesn't feel like a six-parter. Normally six parters drag, but this one does not drag. Um it's it's creepy, it has um uh, Interesting characters, Jago and Lightfoot went on to be very successful characters for Big Finish, played by the same actors. Um, they had like eight different box sets, and they mm-hmm. appear in, in appear in other stories in Big Finish. Um, the uh, the breakout character though is Mister Chang. Um, he is by he's very three dimensional. He has the most complex story arc of any Mm. character in this series if i were an actor he's the one i would want to play you know um because he's he's clearly he starts interesting and and you know seemingly kind and then he turns out to be a horrible villain and then he repents And switches sides, and he's got realizes he was wrong, and he shows vulnerability, and he's got the most complex arc of any character in this story by far. Um, And you know, you've got this robotic, uh, robotic ventriloquist dummy that goes crazy and laughs and has a pig's brain. Mm -hmm. So, um, (laughs) what's not to like about that? (laughs) (laughs) Incidentally, I'll mention part of the backstory of this is. Originally this it was Magnus Greel is not exactly a late addition but a, he's not the original plan for this a- at the time you may remember that the master was in a decayed state mm. and it, originally the villain reveal was going to be the master I kept Wing, wondering yeah. about that yeah Wing Chiang was going to be the master and mm. he was manipulating this Chinese tong to try to recover his TARDIS instead of his time cabinet ah. mm-hmm. and he was going to be using the young women to try to prolong and his life and ultimately heal his decayed state which explains Wing Cheying's line l- late in like it's episode 5 or 6 where he says Leela will be the first morsel to feed his regeneration uh, notice oh. that
0: yeah that word this jumped it. out at me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um Oh, but the reason they didn't go with yep. the Master yep. is because they had used him earlier in the season in the standalone Doctor Goes to Gallifrey episode, The Deadly Assassin. Mm. And the producer, Philip Hinchcliffe, didn't want the master being the revealed villain twice in the same season. Um even though they'd had a third season a season of the third doctor where the master was the villain in every single episode. Mm -hmm, They didn't, they didn't want to do that again. So they, they, they gave wing Chiang this backstory of being a 51st century war criminal named Magnus Greel instead.
0: And it turned out to be Philip Hinchcliffe's last episode story story as the, as the producer of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, So for my part, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was of its time. Um, and it was, um you know, I love all those different elements, the Sherlock Holmes, the Victorian England connection to the, the, the Orient, as they would call it at the time, you know, the into, to China. I, I love all those bits. And Jago and Lightfoot were fun. I really enjoyed them as they're some of the, the best secondary characters, uh, uh, at least of this era. I mean, just they felt like real characters. And I can see why they became... Popular in Big Finish because they have substance to them. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Lightfoot comes across as a good man who's concerned with the well-being of Lita, uh, Leela, not Lita, <laughs> different show. Leela, and uh, and and he's not pompous and arrogant like like a because he's uh, obviously of an of an upper class. Um, Jago, you know, he's a, a bit of a, a scoundrel, a little bit. You can mm-hmm. tell he's a wheeler and dealer, but he's not a bad person at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he's interested in earning some extra money, and who isn't? And and so it was. I just really liked them. They're different, but they they by the end of the story they mesh, and so I really kind of enjoyed that. Um, one thing that I I I realized as I watched this is this is our this is Leela's basically second appearance, right? It was, was well her...
1: after her introduction,
0: right? Right, but it's our last uh, Lila in our discussion, because the next season, uh series, next season of, of, Dr. Do- uh, Who starts with horror at Fang rock, which is where we picked up with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, this, this kind of funny to, to come full circle with her here. Um, and to see where, where she kind of began with the doctor. I, she didn't have a long enough run. I really enjoy, I mean, mm-hmm. apart from, you know, her being attractive, I just think she's a fun companion, <laughs> uh, to to counterpoint with the doctor.
1: Well, fortunately, they've done a lot with her in Big Finish.
0: Oh, good. Good.
1: She's, so, she she yeah. she has multiple fourth after now she and Tom Baker when she was on the show had a very frosty relationship, mm-hmm. but they patched that up. And good, good. she and she and Tom Baker have a bunch of audio adventures together. And because Leela gets left on Gallifrey, she's in the Gallifrey series that chronicles politicking on Gallifrey leading up and in into the Time War. Hmm. Um where she like becomes an assistant to to uh Prime Minister Romana.
0: Um, oh Romana Because
1: Romana becomes the leader of Gallifrey. Right. Um and they and she's also appeared in some other things. In fact, I just heard a story. They're running a story right now for the 60th anniversary um called Once in Future where the Doctor has been hit with a weapon from the Time War that causes him to randomly flit between his regenerations. Mm. They're referring to it as as his degeneration, and he keeps randomly changing between different incarnations. And so for each story, they bring in one or more of the actors who've played the Doctor, and then they pair them with various companions, and Leela is one of them. Cool. They also There's also a 10th Doctor story with Missy, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> I <laughs> bet that would be good. That would be good.
2: Yeah, um, it is interesting though, for a shorter she was on the time she was on the show, she really stands out yeah. as a companion. I mean, she she is you know, when we when you look at lists online of favorite companions, so on, she's always up there on the list somewhere, you know, usually higher up because she was such a popular companion.
1: She was great as a companion. To my mind, I mean, if i I'd rather watch Leela than Sarah Jane. And for mm-hmm. ages, Sarah Jane was the most popular companion. But I would, hands down, I would rather watch Leela. And in, in part, that's because Leela has so much more agency. Sarah mm-hmm. Jane may be a spunky reporter that gets into trouble, but Leela gets herself and the doctor out of trouble. Right. And yep. she stands up to the doctor as well. She doesn't always do what he says. Um, her Janice Thorns are her equivalent of Ace's Nitro Nine.
0: Mm-hmm. You <laughs> yeah. know, yeah, that comes up here too. Yeah, and, and I mean, Sarah Jane is is great, but she's another 20th century, you know, woman from Britain. You know, she's whereas Leela is something different. You know, from mm-hmm. a different time. You know, from the future, yep. from a different culture. And it just makes it more interesting. So I really uh, do appreciate that. It is interesting in this one, she shows up in London uh, with the doctor. She's dressed in a a boy's outfit, basically. But by the end, Professor Lightfoot has to get her some new clothes and she ends up dressed in, you know, this uh, Victorian finery. Uh, In fact, he Mm -hmm. talks about having to pick out fashionable clothes for a young lady. It's something he hasn't had to do (laughs) or or something along those lines. So, um, And of course, the doctor shows up wearing the uh, deerstalker cap and Argyle cape, which is totally yep. Holmes. Oh, uh, was he do you think he was doing that on purpose? Like, was oh, yeah. for like inside the story, was the, the fourth doctor wanted to look like Holmes, I, I guess.
1: Oh, well, I can't speak to the fourth doctor's motives, but mm-hmm. but the writers intended him to be mm-hmm. to be. This is Tom Baker. This is the doctor mm-hmm. who playing Sherlock Holmes. He yeah. even has the line elementary, my dear Lightfoot at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's
2: interesting, though, that this is one of the few where costume fits the story. You know, mm-hmm. where, you know, like with the doctor dressing up kind of Sherlock Holmesian. But if you look at Mr. Chang, he starts out with, you know, the very bright uh, Chinese style silks and things like that. For his And then when he's, yeah, for his performance. Yeah. But then when he becomes more sinister and dark, he puts on a dark coat and a dark cope. And then yeah. towards the end, he's back into more simple clothes of a, Peasant when he's at the you know when he's dying, right and it, it's it again the 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 cost his costume shows kind of his transition as a character, and that's something you really don't see a lot in classic who you don't see a lot oh, in
1: Doctor Who yeah. as as a whole, but you really don't see in classic who especially partly Elaborate for costuming, yeah. Uh, yeah, partly for budgetary reasons, but mm-hmm. because this was his last episode or his last story, Philip Hinchcliffe decided to exceed budget. <laughs> and,
2: um, <laughs> That's if a, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out with a bang. I'm going to spend yeah. them all the money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it was the last episode of the season, so whatever was there, he's spending it. <laughs> yep. So we should probably mention that um, on BritBox, where this is available, every episode of the story, this six, it's a six episode, six part story, begins with a message which varies slightly. It's kind of funny how it varies. That notes that. This story was created in a time with different cultural sensitivities and some of the racial depictions may be offensive to some viewers etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's clear like if you are if you're like us gen X or you you might have been used to that seeing these sorts of things if you're I'm a, a young boomer. person yeah a, a boomer well, right.
1: I'm a post boomer
0: right yeah. you're kind of in between but um if you're a Gen Zer or m- even Millennial, yep. some of it may be like, "Oh, this is you know, this is shocking because we don't do this anymore, apparently." Uh, yeah. And I, I, you know, sure, put the message up. I have to say, we and I think we agreed on this before we started recording. At least they didn't memory hole the story. Like yeah, yeah. We we can still see it with the and, warning, and, and I appreciate and it's that. A, it's a five second warning at the beginning of each
2: episode. Yeah start the episode, go grab a you know, drink from the <laughs> fridge. By the time it's done, you're into the title sequence. You haven't missed it. Yeah. I hit the skip to get to the
0: story anyways (laughs) yeah
1: they it i'm i'm you know if they feel they need to put it up that's fine at least they don't make it excessive and it just notes that some viewers might find this offensive and well okay sure some might some are going to find everything offensive um (laughs) the and they had they didn't memory hold the story like they like some companies have like song of the south for Mm -hmm. example which actually has positive depictions of uncle remus and other mm-hmm. black characters, even though, I mean, they actually come, he actually comes off better than the white family in the story. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you can't see it anymore because of stereotypical elements. Um, this, you know, I, I, I in, in I saw the warning, you know, for the first episode, and it's like, OK, how bad is this going to be? Because I don't remember it being bad at all. And there are a few lines in the sixth episode that were like, oh, I wouldn't have written that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I would have edited out that line. But even them are not unreal. I, I would have edited out in a children's show. Mm-hmm. Um, It's like they dance around the fact that a lot of the ladies who are disappearing in this are prostitutes. They mm-hmm. never make it clear that it's prostitutes. That's there for the adults to understand. But because it's a kid's show, we're, it's just young Victorian women are disappearing, not specifically prostitutes. You have to infer that that's what they are. Right. And similarly for a children's show, I would edit out, you know, a few lines here and there. Um, but the, li- if, it, if I, if this were a show for adults, you know, rather than a family show, I would leave them in because they're realistic to the time. Mm-hmm. This is right. how people talked back then. And yeah. we we don't need to get the screaming heebie-jeebies today because of how people talked in the past. Right. Um, words were not meant. I mean, right. I, you know, there's a term that's been used for some people today of flaming snowflakes because of how delicate they are, but how passionate they are. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, such people, you know, are... regrettably common today um you know i don't care what color your skin is it needs to be thick though you don't (laughs) you don't need to be super sensitive to everything and have hysterics just because something isn't phrased ideally for your tastes um i I call that being a Mm grown-up um but if you if you look at you know what's happening in the story Apart from a few moments here and there, um, Chinese people are treated with respect. You, they're, they're Europeans are curious about them and comment on how their customs are different, and they don't fully understand them. But you know, Lee Sin Chang is a respected guy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Jago is trying to give him a raise. Because of how good he is at his job, and when when the uh, as a magician, and when the TARDIS vanishes at the very end of the episode in front of Jago and Lightfoot, they comment that that's a that's a trick even even the great Chang would have approved of. You know, right. so yeah. he's clearly treated with respect. And as I mentioned before, he's the most complex three-dimensional character in this story. Right. He has the only significant character arc. Everybody else stays the same. Lightfoot's the same at the beginning and the end. The Doctor's the same at the beginning and the end. Leela's the same at the beginning and the end. Um The only other main character... Oh, Greel is the same at the beginning and the end. Um, so is Mr. Sin, except he's a little more murderous uh, <laughs> the The only character that has anything of an arc besides Chang is Jago. And his arc consists exclusively of of getting over his his fears. And finally confronting his fear in combat, Uh, because he has this big blustery persona about how brave and dangerous he is. And it's not true. But in the end, he finally does conquer his fear. That's one little character point that is nothing compared to Chang's evolution over the Mm -hmm. course of the story. So he's the best, most fleshed out character. And he pokes back. At, you know, the, and these are not huge prejudices that are displayed against him, but he pokes back at the British prejudices. There's one point where he's performing on stage. Where he's got the doctor up on stage, he puts him in a sword cabinet, and as they're turning the, he and an assistant are turning the sword cabinet around to show that they're, you know, the back is solid. The doctor gets out and walks off stage in view of the audience, which causes a lot of laughter. And and Chang, and now this is of course pre-written, but he does exactly what a magician should do. He puts his assistant into the doctor's role since his since his. uh his volunteer has bailed on him. Um, but he he turns to the audience and says, Well, it seems one of us is yellow. (laughs) And that is a great line. And and it plays, it acknowledges, you know, what he's called, but it it's a double entendre. And I would have no problem, you know, if I were a magician performing in in Beijing. And that situation happened to me where my volunteer walks off in the middle of a trick. If in Mandarin, pink meant cowardly, <laughs> I would have no or red bearded meant cowardly. I would have no problem turning to the audience and saying, well, it seems one of us is pink or one of us is red bearded.
2: Right? Well, and, and one thing I would I would point out, too, is it's not even as much dialogue as the fact that Mr. Chang is played by a very British British man with makeup that is very stereotypical, let's just put it that way, you know, and and I think that's as much a a concern for those who are, you know, would be upset enough to need this disclaimer as the language, because, yeah, there's, I mean, there is a lot of language where it's stereotypical language against Chinese people that was appropriate for the 19th century at the docks in London, you know that you know this is a rough neighborhood people are not going to use polite language to talk about these foreigners that that are among them so
0: yeah so uh that said and we you know that and that's a good that's a good uh, discussion of that but uh, we shouldn't let it you know uh, take away from our uh uh other discussion as well um but it is a valid it's a valid point and I just want to make sure we we talked about it mm-hmm. um it's so interesting in the story how the doctor gets involved in things. He, like you mentioned, Jimmy, he and Leela are there to kind of give Leela an education about about Earth, I guess, and ways yeah, he, of behaving. He, he's and, showing
1: her. He says he's showing her how her ancestors used to entertain themselves by taking her to the theater.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I love the 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 fact it made me think about how in the previous age, before TV, before radio, people's entertainment was. You had to go and watch people things in front of you Mm -hmm. that this was how you heard music this was how you saw magic i mean all that sort of stuff was you go to the theater and it was a big deal to go to the theater uh and i I kind of appreciated how this story brought that out it was a bit of a you know a reminder of to be appreciative of You know, now we stream a thousand different channels at any time you know, as we want. Well,
2: an early, early television had variety shows and that goes back to the theater vaudeville. And even before that, like this, this would have been, you know, Mr. Chang would have been part of a variety show and he would the headliner of it, but he would have been part of it. And that, that, yeah, the, it wouldn't, you could go to the theater for plays, for musicals, operas, stuff like that, but also these variety shows, um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, the, the variety show is kind of, has died off in modern TV. S, uh, S, uh, SNL, Saturday Night Live, is kind of an extension of that. Not quite. But um, that idea of this, you know, different talents and different showcases and stuff all in one performance is is a, uh, is a something that was very popular back then. And again, yeah, like you said, people had you had to get out of your house to do
1: it. And this you is could something just sit in front of your TV. And this is something they would do every night. The, yep. If you're in various social classes, not the upper class, but in various social classes, going down to the music hall was a, like a nightly thing they did. Mm-hmm. 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 In small towns, your your bar was also your music hall. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. By the way, while we're speaking about the entertainment aspect of this, I want to point out something that they did in this story. Um, you know, they they used actual stage magic. Do you know, because this is the age before CGI. So like at one point, Chang is levitating a woman. You know, he's got he's got her um, suspended between two chairs. Which is something you can actually do with people. But then to prove that, you know, he he does various things that in magic are known as provers. He's having a dialogue with Mr. Sin where Mr. Sin keeps dissing his trick and saying, oh, she's on a metal plank. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, I'll show you she's not on a metal plank between these two chairs. And he takes the chairs away um oh she's suspended by wires oh no she's not and he gets a sword and swoops it all around her in a way that would cut any wires that were there so she's not suspended by wires and then he he gets underneath her and levitates her up above his head and so she visibly rises on stage mm-hmm. to where she's above chang's head and to do this you know there's no CGI here they actually used black arts which is, um, it, it's not what you think. <laughs> yeah. They weren't in League with the Devil. Black art is a term of art in stage magic. It refers to using things that are black, that have a black outside against a black background, so mm-hmm. you can't see them. So in in this levitation application, what they had was two guys completely covered in black So you can't see them against the black background. And when Chang levitates, the woman, the two guys in black lift her up above Chang's head. And you can't see the two guys because they're in black. Every inch of their body is covered in black fabric and they're against a black background. And this is exactly how they did it in the Victorian age. And that was when black art became popular. And so um, they used exactly the same technique in filming it. They're doing actual 19th century British stage magic here on the TV show, Doctor Who. Mm -hmm.
0: I I did like the card trick one, although the Mm -hmm. best part of the card trick was Chang's ability to throw a loose deck of cards <laughs> to the doctor yeah. to help people, though, the people cards going everywhere. I, I know, it's like... That was more uh, impressive than the bullet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that was a doctored deck uh, for the doctor. Um, yep. But, he, you know, and and they're leading us to believe that this is, you know, we had seen a previous scene of Chang loading a revolver. We think this is where he's going to try to shoot the doctor. And the doctor's almost challenging him with it, like mm-hmm. kind of moving the deck in front of him. And... uh you know but he 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 shoots it and pulls out the the one card the ace i guess of the ace of diamonds before. i think yeah yeah and that's the, had a bullet hole in it and which is a, a great trick it's a neat trick um so yeah i i did enjoy the the stage magic that they did in it I, I i could appreciate them doing it knowing it's different because it's the 70s when this was made you know it they have to do some practical effect to get it done and that mm-hmm in some ways makes it better than if they'd been made today because today we just assume it's cgi and that's how you do it and move it on so i I do appreciate it
1: oh by the way another aspect of the stage performance i noticed at one point when they're getting ready to do a sword cabinet routine um the 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 um the orchestra in the theater which by the way is headed by i think it's <clears throat> it's yeah. the doctor who uh yep. doctor who's actual music director is Simpson. The or- yeah he's directing the orchestra um but they uh, they they start to play a music cue from the Gilbert and Sullivan opera The Mikado oh. and it's like it, it it's one that starts with japanese lyrics it's like uh, I, I I won't be able to say it correctly, but um, but it's one I immediately recognized, and and that's on the one hand weird because the Mikado is set in Japan, hmm. and this is a Chinese magic act. But on the other hand, to me, it's totally believable that um, that a 19th, late 19th century orchestra would have played a Japanese music cue for a, <laughs> a, a Japanese themed music cue in a Chinese magic performance. Absolutely.
0: So um, Do- the doctor and Lila get involved with the whole what the goings on when they stumble upon this cabbie who was looking for his missing uh, wife. wife mm-hmm. Um gets jumped by the, the Tong, the gang, um, and is murdered by Mr. Sin, uh the dummy, the ventriloquist dummy, and who uh, who's pulls a chucky on him with the knife. <laughs> and uh the uh and they they come to well not the rescue because the guy actually doesn't survive, but they intervene and then they get taken away along with the one um uh gang member who who gets caught and uh, the doctor pretty much as he usually does takes charge like he mm-hmm. he sort of bullies his way into being you know ordering the the police around eventually um and it is interesting that the the one you know interpreter available to the police to interpret for the Chinese you know uh, suspects is conveniently mr. Chang, so
1: yeah, although the doctor says he speaks multiple Chinese dialects and starts trying to interrogate the prisoner that they have because Leela managed to catch one of the guys that was dragging off the body of the cabbie. Yeah. And, and so the doctor starts to talk to him. And the first thing he says is ni hao ma. And I was like, wow, they actually consulted someone who speaks Chinese. (laughs) Ni hao ma. It means, how are you? Only it's, you know, if you just say ni hao, it means, hi, how are you? It's not a serious question. You add the ma on the end of it. And it becomes a serious question. Right. So he was, he, he wasn't just saying hi there. He was saying, how are you in a serious way? Um, but then I didn't recognize what he said after that. And apparently what he says after that is gibberish. So Mm. whoever they consulted (laughs) didn't, didn't, didn't know Mandarin. I,
2: I wonder if they did that on purpose too, though where mm-hmm. he, doctor knew that one phrase, but then from that point on, he didn't know. And of course you you got the question, um, hello, TARDIS translation circuit. Yeah. Should that be kicking in about now?
0: That's yeah. a good point. That's a good
1: point. <laughs> Later when they're breaking into, when the doctor and Leela are breaking into, um, Lightfoot's house after, after th- they've just been attacked by members of the Tong who have come there searching for the key to the time cabinet, um, the doctor like bursts into, to Lightfoot's drawing room and yells, ma! and I'm going, okay, you clearly don't know what that means. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> if I was, if I was bursting into a crime scene, I would, the first thing I yell would not be, how are you?
0: <laughs> Hello. <Yeah. laughs> it's the equivalent of Kenobi. Hello there. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, and, and again, this is another one The the doctor goes to the, to Lightfoot's office. Lightfoot is a pathologist. Um, he's not the coroner, but he's does the, the, the actual, um, Autop- autopsy, autopsy. That's the word I was looking for. And, uh, a member of the Tong has been sent to kill the doctor and it's Leela who saves the doctor from the, uh, from the, 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 the ax throwing guy, when she hits him with a Janus thorn, um. And the doctor's about to scold her when she points out, "I just saved you from being killed by this guy," and he's like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> okay." Mm-hmm. Um, so, I want to mention like Mr. Sin, played by uh, a, a an actor named Deep Roy. And what makes him, if
1: I recall correctly, deep is short for Deepak or something like yes. that. It's an Asian name.
0: Yep. Yeah, he's uh, he's a native of Kenya. Apparently I looked up his mm-hmm. bio, uh, but he, I think he's yeah Indian. He might be uh, Pakistani parentage. or something like that. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Um, there's actually a lot of uh, folks of Indian um, uh, ancestry in East Africa, which I thought was interesting, but that's not the important point. Uh, the interesting thing about Mr. Deep Roy is he has the distinction, as far as I can tell, of the only actor to have played roles in Doctor Who, Star Trek, and Star yep. Wars. Uh, he's been all three franchises. Now, uh, in Star Wars, he's had he was a uncredited in Empire Strikes Back is being in the Yoda costume at points mm-hmm. uh, when they needed Yoda to move around independently of uh, Frank Oz, <laughs> who's yep. the puppeteer, um, so he he was in that, but he was also in um, the J.J. Abrams Star Treks as the companion to Mr. Scott. Oh, right! Oh, that character. guy. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Um, and then, of course, here as well. So I just thought that was I like to point out when I when the when we have these actors who cross among my favorite uh, franchises. Um, so we find out that Chang is not the ultimate villain in this it is wing chai yang this masked figure um and he's we hear early on that he's afraid of time agents he uses that term uh when when Mm -hmm. he's talking with uh and and i didn't
1: mention it in my summary i mentioned they mashed up the phantom of the opera in here and that's the wing chai yang element Because he lives in the basement of a theater wearing a mask that is eventually pulled off to reveal he's got a hideous face. And that's 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 Phantom of the Opera. And they even nod to that in the script, because Mm -hmm. at various points, Jago is walking around in Wing Chiang's lair, thinking about how in the future he's going to he's going to lead people on tours through (laughs) through where he was. See the lair of the phantom. Yes, (laughs)
0: Yes, yep. <laughs> that's right. He does the Phantom. Um, there are there is lots of running about in darkened sewers, uh, and uh, Lila at one point subs herself in for one of the kidnapped girls to to kind of uh, well save the girl, but also to track back to where they're being taken. Again, you know, Lila very courageous in this. Um, unable to save the other girl, unfortunately, the the, the other one has been taken, mm-hmm. but uh, she escapes and then is chased by the giant stuffed rat uh, through the sewer. And the doctor ends up using a very large fouling piece shooting the rat to save Leela. And he says, let's let's get out of here because uh, it takes about a half hour to reload this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Rodents of unusual size? I don't believe they exist. (laughs) Yes. Sorry, it had to come in. That was my first thought as soon as I saw the rat. It's like, yeah, this is Princess Bride line time. That is total (laughs) (laughs)
0: R-O-U-S. And then, um, yeah. Then I, I mentioned earlier how uh, the Lightfoot has to get clothes for uh, Leela, and the doctor and I thought that was just a little fun conversation. The doctor and Lightfoot discussing Leela's outfits and the importance of choosing the right clothes for a woman, and the doctor being, as usual, kind of clueless about it. And uh, um, what well, it was it was interesting. You saw Leela, you know. Again, this is going back to the Pygmalion type.
2: Thing with Lila, where oh food, and she immediately just grabs this big old chunk of meat and just
1: starts chowing yes. down off the bone.
2: Yeah, and Lightfoot's she... like, oh, would you like a plate? <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, that was a great scene, and Lila's eating habits are very interesting in this. Later, she's sitting at Lightfoot's table, and there's like a big pole bowl, I mean, huge bowl. Of pudding or something in front, yeah. of her. punch or something, and, yeah. and she just picks it up and starts drinking out of it. It's, <laughs> and it's bigger than her head. Yeah. Um, but what I really liked is even though Lightfoot is there and now he's he's got Victorian sensibilities about women, and so mm-hmm. he thinks upper class Victorian sensibilities about women. I should say, um, lower class had very different sensibilities. Uh, but he's he's like. Telling the doctor he shouldn't take Leela into various places because she'd see things that will be too upsetting for a woman. And and he's incomprehending about her um initially incomprehending about her her physical prowess, you know. Um and then she makes a comment about like, well, they always told us to use the weapon this way, and he's by how does she have any knowledge of how to use weapons and the doctor says savage found in a hat box floating down the amazon <laughs> which, which which is actually a literary allusion to a british story where someone's found in a hat box floating down the thames okay um, but after that lightfoot knows okay so she's got this Primitive background and he just rolls with it. So when she picks up this enormous looks like part of a rib cage, Mm -hmm. she picks up this rib cage and just starts gnawing on it. He's like, would you care for a plate? And but he doesn't push it beyond that. And and then or a knife or a fork. And yeah. she, and she, he, she picks up a knife off the table and says, oh, that's a good knife. And she's thinking I could stab someone with <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> but, but then to, uh, you know, he's just not sure what to do. So he's just standing there as she's eating. And she finally says, aren't you going to eat? And he picks up a plate for a second and then puts it down. And then he picks up this enormous leg bone. It's like a <laughs> mutton drumstick Yeah, and just starts eating directly off the mutton drumstick to not make her <laughs> feel uncomfortable. What a
0: great host. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, this is what I like about Lightfoot. He just, he kind of rolls with it. He's not stuffy or, you know, he, he's just, he's, he's, a, he's comes across as a good guy. I like him. Yep. Um, so interestingly, oh, uh, yeah. one
1: other thing that occurred to me about Leela's eating habits is if she is eating like this in front of Lightfoot, that means the doctor's been letting her eat like this the whole time on the <laughs> yeah. TARDIS.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Pretty that's much. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I do like at the end where you know, as where they're walking to the TARDIS, Lightfoot is trying to explain to her how to take tea. And you know, I will ask you to one lump or two, and you will respond one lump and and she says, "Well, what do I want two?" Oh no, a lady never takes two and she says, then "Why do you ask?" <laughs> which is a great point, but it 's the way things are done it 's just how it 's done uh and then the doctor clearly has opinions about tea as well as they 're getting yep. into the chartist he 's talking about the the importance of heating the pot which uh, i just i think it's fun <laughs> that the doctor also has opinions about tea um so about halfway through this story. Ch- Mr. Chang is betrayed by Wing Chiang, by, uh, I should call him he's, Magnus Greel. He's, he's fired yeah. by yeah, Wing no, Chiang. Right. And we think he's dead. He, like, he runs off into mm-hmm. the sewers. We hear the him attacked by a sewer rat. Um, The sewer rat takes his leg, which is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, pretty gruesome for a kid's story. Yeah. And... um. We catch back up with him in the fifth episode where the doctor and, and Leela have gone to a Chinese laundry, which turns out to also be an opium den. And he's in there taking opium to to dull the pain and is sort of, as you mentioned, Jimmy, reminiscing, repenting. And in the end, he's the doctor's trying to get out of him the clue. Where is Greel? And he tries to give it to him. Yeah. And he, he tells him over-
1: he's, he tells him he's in the House of the Dragon which is the the Tong headquarters. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, well, where's that? And he tries to communicate, but is only able to gesture in an ambiguous way. He touches his shoe. Yeah. Do we ever figure out what he was trying to say? No, the doctor names multiple possibilities and Leela Mm -hmm. adds one as well, but none of them are ever confirmed. It's kind
0: of interesting. You know, I'm curious what he was trying to tell him. By by the way,
1: I found um, Chang's um, deathbed scene very interesting. I mean, not only is it the conclusion of his arc, but I, I from a parapsychological perspective, I found it very interesting because he says two things that were particularly noteworthy. The first one is as he's dying, he says, I see my ancestors. They walk to greet me from the palace of Jade. And okay, so this is a known phenomenon. This is deathbed visions where people who are dying perceive this is actually quite common where people who are dying perceive deceased relatives and loved ones coming to greet them and welcome them and help them transition into the next life. So as he's dying, um, Chang has deathbed visions. Then he says something else that i find even more interesting he starts talking about how he's crossing the golden bridge now here and this is like a 1970s you know mm-hmm. um thing okay death Near-death experiences were first publicized in the West in 1975 with the release of Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life. And that book became an international bestseller, and it popularized the image of someone who's dying experiences moving through a dark tunnel toward a bright light. So that's where the tunnel experience really hit Western consciousness. And today, if you ask people, so what happens in a near-death experience, the tunnel Mm-hmm. Is going to be one of the first things they mention. It's even in Deep Space Nine where uh, where Bashir and O'Brien are inside Luther Sloan's mind as he's dying and right. they see the tunnel. It's like, oh, that's the tunnel. I uh, thought it would be more impressive. Um, well, OK, here's the thing. In some Asian cultures, like in Japan and China, they do perceive motion. In near death experiences, but not through a tunnel they perceive walking over a bridge. Hmm. And and so I, I was very struck by, okay, that's culturally appropriate hmm. um, for Chang, since he's from China, to perceive the motion as walking over a bridge rather than flying through a tunnel. But even more so, I'm wondering, how did Robert Holmes know that? It, what, did he just guess it? Did he just make it up and coincidentally be right that that's what... That's how it's sometimes perceived in Asian near-death experiences Mm -hmm. or had because this was this was, you know, like written kind of contemporaneously with life after life and life after life doesn't mention the bridge. It just mentions the tunnel. So had had Robert Holmes read accounts of near-death experiences that were Asian and that were very rare Prior to the release of Life After Life, I just I, I wish I knew. It could be that he just invented this detail, and it happened to be appropriate. But I, I can't help wondering: is did he have some actual knowledge of Asian near death experiences?
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I I just briefly looked at his bio. And he he didn't he didn't live in the East. You know, as sometimes mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, British families did in the you know imperial era. Um, I, yeah, it's interesting. So. Um, the doctor talks about he explains we you know, we finally get the explanation of who magnus greel is he explains what mr sin is is something called the peking homunculus mm-hmm. made huh. in peking or beijing homunculus 5000 yeah homunculus, in the year 5,000.
1: Means, yeah, homunculus yep. means little man
0: mm-hmm. right and it was a toy apparently a plaything for the c- children of the Commissioner of the Icelandic Alliance uh, in the 51st century. It contained a series of magnetic fields operating on a printed circuit and a small computer, which actually is like, you know, tickle me Elmo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Think about it. Um, and it had one organic component, the cerebral cortex of a pig. And apparently something went wrong and it almost caused World War VI. <laughs> well, we know
1: how evil pigs are. I mean, they, 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 they <laughs> just want to dominate the world. <laughs> Actually, since the doctor also mentions that the year 5000 is during an ice age, Mm -hmm. which is which is actually not an unreasonable prediction. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, the uh, so that's, you know, the year 5000 here there. He's not even up to the year 2000. And that means that there's if if the peaking homunculus almost causes World War six, and we've had World War Two in the 20th century, that means three, four, and five occur over a 3,000-year period. So well, that's only one war, every, one world war every 1,000 years. Humanity's doing pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Well, <laughs> that's, well, we know from Star Trek
2: should be any time now because we've got 30 years till the Vulcans <laughs> land. That's
0: right. That's right. <laughs> uh, that means two more over the next 3,000 years. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that um, works. Yeah. Uh, the idea of like the, having to put a like a pig's cerebral cortex in some type of robotic thing, though, you know, robotic. Yeah. It's kind of ugh, scary. Oh, gross. But, um, uh, so I, I did appreciate the So the doctor and Lila get, uh, have to break into the opium den and it's one of those old locks where you have a skeleton type key that glue that puts mm-hmm. you. And so his trick for getting the, because the
1: key's on the wrong side to unlock. And because they've established in this era, the Sonic doesn't work on mechanical locks. Yep.
0: That's right. So he takes a piece of paper, a large, like, wrapping paper for, mm-hmm. like, wrapping laundry, and slides it under the door, pushes the key through from his side. It falls on the paper. He slides it. Back. That's a good trick. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He must have learned that as the uh, as the third doctor from uh, the es- escapologist. <laughs> uh. yeah, the, the, uh,
1: the Joe Grant.
0: Joe the, Grant, yeah. the, they also
1: he also does another trick, which I really appreciate today. They could do this by waving the sonic, which I, th- I think becomes repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a nice hands on trick. So this is the 19th century. They don't have electric lighting. They have gas lighting. Mm-hmm. And so when the doctor Jago Lightfoot and two of the kidnapped girls are in this room together, um, they the doctor Concocts a plan to help them escape, and he he's got some cloth, um, and he says, "Tear down that gas pipe over there," mm-hmm. and he starts uh, filling. He makes the cloth into basically a big cloth balloon mm-hmm. and fills it with the gas for the lighting, which of course is flammable. And when they hear the guards coming to get them, uh, the doctor turns to Lightfoot, who's a pipe smoker, and says. Lucifer's, which was what they used to call matches. Lucifer in Latin means light bringer. And so they would call matches Lucifer's. And so he lights a match, uh, lights a piece of paper that leads up to the big gas balloon. And then when the guards open the door to come in, bam, it goes off and stuns them and they Mm -hmm. can escape. And he's very neatly told the two kidnapped girls don't stop. If we get out of here, don't stop running until you're a mile away from this place. Yeah. Right so they run off and they're out of the plot and I thought that was a very yep. nice way to deal with that you know just very let neat. them let them fend for themselves but I really liked the the exploding balloon grenade yeah. effectively mm-hmm. um based on 19th century lighting
2: and I thought yes. that was very clever I liked that a lot what, Well it's interesting to um uh, you mentioned, you know, they didn't have electric lighting, but this is when electric lighting was starting to become available because mm-hmm. Jago, when he's down in, in the, the, the the basement there in, the, in the, the lair of the Phantom, he's talking about, you know, I'm going to put electric lighting up and do these tours. Mm-hmm. And,
0: right. That's yeah. right. So um, before that, uh, Jago and Lightfoot had on their own followed the Chinese gang members uh, who had, uh, you know, from the theater to the House of the Dragon, and they get captured and they're being interrogated by Wing Chiang, um, who's throttling Jago while Lugfoot says, you, you you know, you can't force me to talk. And Jago's like, um,
1: <laughs> you yeah. know, it's kind of funny, like...
0: It's very brave to say, yeah, I will not give in to your dear, uh, your, uh, uh, your, uh no, no matter how much you throttle my friend here, I will not talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, um, uh, do I have any say in this? <laughs> at, at,
1: at one point, Jago is talking to Wing Chang and he's like, you're joking me. And, and Wing Chang is like, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <That's> the point. <laughs> so, uh, and meanwhile, the doctor and uh, Lila back at the, um, the, the uh, Lightfoot's house and they find the key to the time cabinet that, that uh, real Magnus Greel is looking for. And um, he asks Lila, do you know what this is? And she's very clever. Lila, she doesn't miss a trick. She says, you asked me that just so you can tell me, right? Because <laughs> of course she doesn't know what it is. And it's, that, it's kind of funny. It's almost a fourth wall break a little bit too. I, I was going to say, that's gotta
2: be Robert Holmes kind of saying, okay, now we have to have some exposition. So let's just call it out.
0: Yes, I, I did like that. Uh, he did yell Eureka. And then the, she says, it's a Eureka. And he says, no, Eureka is Greek for this bath is too hot. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. But that's a good line. That's an like old that. joke. That's an old yeah. joke though. but Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) um
1: eureka uh, is greek for i've found it
0: yes now one scene i really enjoyed was jago and lightfoot before the doctor and leela show up when they're in prison talking about facing their deaths Mm -hmm. and jago admitting that when it comes to it he's not that brave he tries to be but isn't and lightfoot reassures him that when it comes to it he doesn't suppose anybody's really all that brave Mm -hmm. when they're facing their death um it's just you know, you, you put on the best that you can and you, you go. And it was a really, I thought it was a really nice little moment between them. Mm-hmm. And I think the the forming of that bond of friendship between two guys who probably would never in real life, you know, in, in that society, have become friends. And this is a moment that bonds them in a friendship. So I thought it was a, a nice little moment that they threw in there for, for that, yep. these two characters.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I like that. So, um Eventually, the do- after the doctor and the you know in the the other three escape, uh, they confront Greel in the throne room, um, and the the doctor names him as the butcher of Brisbane, um, who is under the false impression that the doctor's ability to have traveled through time meant that his own time travel tricks, uh, you know, experiments worked, and that the doctor is just living off of his. Mm-hmm. technology when in fact of course he's a time lord and the doctor should have clarified
1: that and said oh no i'm from another planet your experiments are a total failure that would have <laughs> that would have helped back up um his claim because he was telling him your experiments were a failure and to to grill that's like well then how are you here and he, right. he doesn't clarify that right uh,
0: um another oh, there's another literary reference i missed uh to, i forgot to mention is the doctor gets knocked out at one point and lightfoot wakes him up and he wakes up saying there's a one-eyed yellow idol to the north of Kathmandu. There's mm-hmm. a little marble cross below the town, which is, uh, it's funny because Lightfoot says Kipling, and and uh, someone which else knows. A, a lot
1: of people <laughs> assume that poem is Kipling, and it's not.
0: Yes, uh, right. it, it's by J. Milton Hayes, uh, which is another, but from 1911, which would make it anachronistic for anyone yes. of that time to know.
1: <laughs> and, the, and, and the doctor actually misidentifies the person who wrote it because he says like 1920 and he names some guy and it's not the actual author. Right, right.
0: Um, so uh, Leela gets captured again and she's about to be put into the, uh, the, life extraction the yes and um she she's defiant to the end she's i love this mm-hmm. line she says to greel i shall not plead but i promise you this when we are both in the great hereafter i shall hunt you down bent face <laughs> and put you through my agony a thousand times because he'd said how agonizing the mm-hmm. this booth would be to her. And I'm like, go Leela. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like, yes. Um, and she calls him bent face because it was distorted face uh, mm-hmm. from the uh, yep. the time travel. Um, so and but, you know, as we mentioned, uh, you know, the things progressed as we expect. Uh, Wing Chiang dies. At the doctor's hand, another mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. victim victim of the doctor. He, he
1: shoves him shoves him into his life extraction machine and turns it on.
0: Yep, and turns him to dust. Um, and then he and Lila depart, and uh, that's the that's the end of the story. So, uh, any other thoughts, Father Corey? Any final thoughts on this story? So the the doctor, when talking about having been to China, he said he
2: had been there four hundred years ago. And so either he real he forgot that Marco Polo was actually six hundred years ago talking about the first doctor story Marco Polo, he had been there in the fifteenth century, or it was four hundred years in his time that the story Marco Polo had occurred. It's one of those three, right. you know. But it, it, <laughs> it, but it's, it's kind of a throwaway line anyway. Oh yeah, I was there four hundred years ago, but it doesn't say whether you know again whether it's real or, world time or
1: doctor time, or it could be an unchronicled adventure. Right. That's yeah, the same or just another 15th. trip. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um. They talk about the you know, one one thing that plays into this story is the river fleet. Mm-hmm. And there's in London, there are a number of basically subterranean rivers, rivers that as London grew, basically got covered over. They got capped over and became part of the sewer system. And so there, this river fleet is one of the probably the most well-known. Um, and to this day, if you're you know on boats, I, as I understand this, if you're on boats that go up the, the River Thames, they can point out this is where the, the fleet empties out into the the thames and during when when the thames is uh at low tide you can actually see water coming out of the river fleet oh interesting so it's still there to this day i was reading something actually kind of doing a little bit of research on this that that london the london government is actually considering trying to uncover some of these rivers and make them kind of greenways within the city oh uh but in the river fleet is one of those that they're considering that. So that would be probably kind of a nice thing to, to do to get, bring a little more nature
1: back into London I'd, proper. I'd love to see them if they're not filled with sewage.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they have, uh, I think they use the passageways now for actual proper sewer piping and things like that. I don't think they're, right. they actually use the river to
0: dump sewage into the Thames anymore. Yeah. They're probably more storm drains than anything. Yep. Exactly. Um, Jimmy, any other notes? So one
1: of the words that um, that Jago uses several times in this story is upazudix. Mm-hmm. And this is, there's a lot of 19th century slang in this, which is something Robert Holmes apparently knew quite well. And upazudix is a word. It's not, Holmes did not coin it. Um, right. It's also sometimes spelled upazudix. And it refers to an imaginary disease. There was hmm. a popular song at the time talking about how father has the upazudics or upazudics. He's got him on the brain. He's walking <laughs> around without his shirt and trousers. He's got it really bad. And so this was, was an item of culture of the time. Hmm. Um, it's thought that it, it may be der- the may be derived from the word episodic or epizootic, which is the animal equivalent of an epidemic. So we're humans, we're the people, the demos. So if a disease is a pawn, or in Greek, epi, the demos, you have an epidemic. But um, animals aren't people, so they don't have epidemics. They're living things, so they are... Zootics or and from uh zoo, the v- verb for I live. And so if if there's a disease upon the living things, it would be an epizodic. So mm. that I thought that was interesting. Another thing I thought was interesting was in the set dressing for this, you know, they've got all this nineteenth century stuff that they could have, you know, theater set dressings for like Chang's dressing room and stuff that they could just pull out of BBC inventory. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you see in Chang's dressing room regularly is there's a cage with two, two white doves in it yep. that are alive. Yep. And so they really went to care to get, cause they didn't have to put that in there, mm-hmm. but you know, white doves are often used in magic tricks, they don't always survive <laughs> um but uh, that's, why two. <laughs> yeah, that's why there's two of them yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but they've got them um, they've got living ones here on the set so I thought that showed particular care from the set dressers yep. um at, oh uh Lightfoot's uh housekeeper slash cook slash maid is Mrs. Hudson which is a deliberate nod to Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson's housekeeper and Dr. Watson's eventual wife mm. um um, at one point, uh, Lila, as, as they're riding in a carriage, um, uh, Lightfoot, uh, lights his pipe and Lila turns to him and says, why are you making fire in your mouth? And, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and the doctor says, there's no tobacco where Lila's from. And, and Lightfoot says, oh, sounds healthy, but. Terribly dull
0: yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and and this is this is this is a this is commentary from Robert Holmes because Robert Holmes himself was a pipe smoker that's funny right. and that line st- sticks out at me particularly because back in the day, like this is when I was in college or whatever I was about twenty years old um, I would go over from Fayetteville, Arkansas where I my hometown to Tulsa, Oklahoma for every summer for a sci fi convention called Oakcon. And um, and this being, you know, like 1985 ish smoking in public was totally allowed. And lots of people Mm -hmm. did it, including at science fiction conventions. And so I was at Ocon once and um, and I was smoking my pipe and a woman who was cosplaying as Leela turned to me and said, why are you making fire in your mouth? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's great. (laughs) Um let's see. So uh, Wing Chiang or Magnus Greel is supposed to be really frail because of his illness. But there's one sequence in this, even though Chang has just told him at Lightfoot's house to go back to his lair and rest because of how bad off he is. Mm -hmm. When he gets back to the theater, he's like climbing around and (laughs) knocking people unconscious. And it's like, okay, I guess he got rested on the way back (laughs) because he's suddenly the most physical he is in all of this. He's leading the doctor and mary chase and gets away from mm-hmm. him right um that definitely felt like a filler scene yeah. like we
2: need we've got to you know we got about two minutes we got to fill well let's just do a little romp through the
0: running about the theater
1: yep. yeah um leela has some interesting interactions with weapons at one point you know she's very determined i love how at one point she thinks lightfoot's house is so big he must have armed embankments
2: Yeah, You know, (laughs)
1: and, and and the doctor's like, I took you to the wrong time. You would have loved, loved Agincourt, (laughs) Um, but she starts making do with what Lightfoot has available in his house. And she's at one point, she's like, she picks up this cricket bat Mm -hmm. and is swinging it around, like evaluating it as, as a weapon. And she picks up a golf club and is trying to figure out how to use it as a spear, um, but she, her 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 at least Louise Jameson's Jamison's um, weapons experience is clearly limited because when the tong breaks in, she grabs a knife and she grabs it by the blade and <laughs> throws it towards Mister Sin and somehow it somehow it sticks in his neck with the blade and it's like okay that's not what would have happened. You <laughs> grab a knife by the blade and throw it by the blade. It's gonna the handle. Is going to impact the target. Yeah. Right. Um, so it was improperly thrown. Uh, at one point, the doctor is trying to figure out the sewer system, including the Fleet River. And he's just writing on Lightfoot's tablecloth. Yeah. On, his, on his dining table <laughs> and Lightfoot comes in and sees him doing it and Lightfoot is like he's the perfect host he is so unflappable he he just lets the doctor show him the plan on the tablecloth he never <laughs> criticizes he never says what are you doing and then when they're done with it uh, and they're getting ready to go he said well if you're done with the tablecloth I better dispose of that before my housekeeper gets here and he just takes <laughs> the tablecloth <laughs> yeah. off and puts it in the laundry hamper <laughs> (laughs) Um, one of the things oh they also mention uh, something with the two girls that they help escape they're initially unconscious and they could have explained it any number of ways Um, but the doctor says it's broth of oblivion Mm. and when Lightfoot and the doctor is previously um, when he wandered into the Tong's headquarters which looks a little like a Chinese restaurant he said I'll have the bird's nest soup (laughs) (laughs) which is soup made. It's fantastically expensive. It's a delicacy. You can be charged as much as $2,000 after all the inflation the government has caused for a bowl of bird's nest soup because it's made out of real bird's nests that these little uh, birds, I forget their exact name, um, but they make their bird's nests out of spit and Mm. the spit solidifies. And so you can take their spit birds' nests and dissolve it in soup, and mm. this is considered a delicacy but Yum. then but then later <laughs> it's supposed to have a kind of salty taste um, you can imagine <laughs> but probably not as salty as Campbell's soup, though that's hideously salty um, but th- he then says that these girls have been knocked out by broth of oblivion, and when Lightfoot says what's that?" he says it's a Chinese soup well not exactly broth of oblivion or mengpo is a soup in chinese mythology or chinese religion it was in it's something it's not available on earth um the, it was invented by this um uh revered Ancestor lady goddess spirit um, who died and was unable to reincarnate because of her bad memories of her life with her husband on Earth. And so to prevent other people from being unable to reincarnate, she invented broth of oblivion. And so she feeds it to people when they're ready to reincarnate. So that's why they don't remember their past lives. And -hmm. it allows them to reincarnate in an unencumbered state. So Broth of Oblivion, or as I said, Meng Po, is from the Chinese afterworld. It's not actually available in this life. (laughs) Also, not in cans
0: or in uh, packages on the <laughs> store shelves. No, yeah, you, you can't,
1: can't. It's not available as cup of soup. Um, uh, one last thing: there, they de- now they do use a dummy f- at one point when the um, Chinese uh, Tong members are hauling away the cab driver's body, Um and that's not so obvious because it's dark, but. Wow! When Mister Sin is attacking the doctor at the climax of the story, and he's spinning <laughs> yeah. around with Mister Sin on his shoulders, yeah, that is very obviously a dummy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I would have said too. Yeah, I had to laugh at that. That was a good one. But that's um, it. one
2: thing. Uh, yeah, one thing I forgot to mention. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about another Jago Ye- 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 and Lightfoot, Jago and Lightfoot story, uh, Doctor Who, uh, Secrets Doctor Who, episode three twenty one. From back in okay. April, where we talked about the Sixth Doctor and Flip.
0: Yeah. In Stage Fright. I want right. to go back and re-listen to that now, because now that I've seen Jake and Lightfoot, I, I, yep. I, it would be, I think it would hit differently. So, And yeah. if you
2: want to hear our, our conversation on it, starquest.fm slash who321. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Incidentally, um, Magnus Greel has also appeared in Some Big Finish. And I just downloaded, because I wanted to see what else they do with him. Uh, I downloaded a fifth doctor story called The Butcher of Brisbane, where the fifth doctor, because Australia is where Brisbane is, and Tegan is from Australia. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And so the, so the doctor and Tegan end, uh, and Nyssa end up in the 51st century with a young Magnus Greel. And oh, cool. so I want to listen to that.
0: Oh, that sounds interesting. All right. So uh, that's it for our discussion of this story. But I did mention we have some listener feedback. And this comes from our recent episode, uh, 343, called Below There. It was This was the ninth Dr. Big Finish audio story. And Mark uh, on YouTube wrote, instead of killing the guy, why didn't the doctor do the Dr. Donna mind meld? He could have erased his memories back to before the accident and been good to go.
1: I'd ha- it's been too long since I've heard that episode. I'd have to go back and re-listen to it to see if there's a, a good reason. However, I, you know, on Doctor Who, they can always retcon anything. And one of the things they've established is the when the doctor does certain powerful telepathic things, it. there's a cost like Mm -hmm. there's one moment where um where the 11th doctor it's in the first episode with craig the lodger and to save time the doctor when Craig is demanding to know who the doctor is. The doctor just headbutts him and transmits all this information all at once. <laughs> so Craig suddenly understands you're you the the eleventh, and you know, and the doc. But it gives the doctor a horrendous headache doing that. He says, "I'm never doing that again." Mm. Well, what the doctor did for Donna was like a substantial mind wipe, and one could ar- and one could argue it had a similar effect on him. It was something he that was very hard for him to do, but he was willing to do it because of how much Donna meant to him. Right. Um, and maybe that wasn't the case here, or maybe there wasn't time or maybe there was some other reason, or maybe the doctor forgot or, you know,
0: who or, knows? Or, non diegetically we who could say that who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Right? We could say that um, the Doctor Donna Mindmeld introduced the too powerful device that could destroy many plots. So yeah. we, yes. we pretend that it doesn't exist for other stories. <clears throat> um, but thank you, Mark, for your feedback. We really appreciate it. Oh, another
1: possible mm-hmm. explanation is he may not have had that ability at the time. Uh, yeah, because yeah. different incarnations display different characteristics and some, since the first and second doctor, there's episodes that imply he only has one heart. Some have suggested he didn't have the two hearts before the, he was, became the third doctor. So I mean, maybe the ninth doctor didn't yet have the, the 10th doctor's ability to do a mind wipe like that.
0: Interesting. Thank you for your feedback, and we'd also like to take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who, including Judd E., James P., Katie T., Lisa S., and Joe S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Simon Yannick, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. We would love to hear what you thought of The Talents of Wing Chiang. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. Or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. And you can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash StarQuest Media, where you can also leave a comment. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 12th Doctor story, Heaven Sent. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, Casey's a good fellow, but about as sharp as the corners on a round table.